2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast.
3: Well, there,
1: Ivan Gazidis receives his full bonus, and as an exclusive, we've been given a tape of the very meeting where he made the presentation that got him that bonus. Let's take a listen.
0: Management, financial portfolios, insurance, computers, black leather gloves, research and development, putting in the man hours to study the science of what you need. Last week, we put liquid paper on a bee, and it died. Security, security, and And. investors, possibly
1: you. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We will dive into the details of that Ivan Gazidis bonus payment, the finances, the injuries, the upcoming fixtures, and everything that you have been dying to hear us opine about. But I do want to first read it out live. We are getting the draw now for the World Cup of League. Uh, the United States dropping into the World Cup of League. Um, we will be playing uh, n- nations like Wales and... Um, Chile so uh, we will also finish last in that uh, in any event uh, my condolences to fellow Americans or fellow listeners from parts of the world where you will not be participating in the World Cup but that means you have more time to focus on Arsenal and when have they ever let you down so here to join me is Tim you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto hello Tim evening uh, no it's not but thank you uh, you can find Paul on Twitter at Paws my pants. hello Paws woohoo yep that's right and Clive is on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C hello Clive Hello, hello. The P is for positively excited to be here, and we um we are going to do a little bit on the news that has come out during the uh, seven and a half month international break we've been on, and then we'll look forward to the fixtures coming up. <clears throat> uh, we are going to talk finances, and uh, while I did play uh, some audio of the meeting at which Gazidis was awarded his bonus payment. Um, I think we can dive into that as well. But first, let's get to the defense, uh, something Arson maybe should have done over the last decade. And uh, Mustafi is injured. He could be out for quite a while, and given our injury history, quite a while could stretch into forever. So, Tim, I guess the first question is, short-term while Mustafi is out, how do you think the manager will line up for Premier League games?
4: Well, the news that's kind of come out today, not through an official channel, but from someone who's very close to the club, is that it's expected to be three weeks for Mustafi. And when have we ever given a three-week diagnosis uh, for an injury to an Arsenal player that has ever stretched beyond that? I mean, three
1: weeks is literally how we (laughs) announce an injury that is (laughs) season-ending.
4: So... um, yeah, fingers crossed. He he could be back for for Man City. Um, Are we? Would we but, cross
1: our fingers for that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, well, it does lead to an interesting question, right? I mean,
4: exactly. Is this good? Is this like, bad? Where does it leave us? <laughs> that, that's the thing. Is Mustafi is almost um, like worth more to us than the sum of his parts um, because of possibly the situation with with the backup and, and not just the backup. The situation. Mostly with Lauren Koscielny, um, and it's gone a little bit quiet on that. And, and how you know, we, we know that we've been managing his Achilles problem for a little while, but obviously, he didn't play for France. And there's a bit of radio silence on whether we can expect him back. And more to the point, if he does come back, is that because he is fit to come back, or because? Um, Arsene Wenger's kind of making a decision to throw him in because we don't have Mustafi there anymore. I mean, on paper, it looks a relatively straightforward decision to put Per Mertesacker in there to me. Uh, per is, is that straightforward? I
1: mean, he has not played Mertesacker but, in a Premier League game in the better part of two seasons. Do you think he would choose him over Rob Holding? Maybe
4: not. Maybe not. Um, so it's it's kind of, like I say, on, on paper, like Per Mertesacker plays... That central role that Mustafi plays, I think he tends to play it quite well as well. Um, and you know he's he's a he's a reliable performer. Um, the games he's come into this season he's he's not looked out of place or off the pace. now obviously the fact that we're using him so sparingly suggests that the manager doubts um, his ability to play regular football anymore and the, and I think Per Mertesacker said that himself at the end of last season he said something when I think those rumours started to circulate that he was going to retire um, before the, the appointment was made with the academy he said something like you know I can't play every week anymore so obviously there's a situation there but when he has played in the Carabao Cup and the Europa League he's he's looked perfectly fine um to me so for me what you do for the next few weeks is you kind of swap his role over and you play him in the premier league games once a week and you leave him out of the carabao cup and the europa league that would be personally the way i would manage it mm-hmm. but again th- this this question's a little bit loaded because you know we we don't really know what the physical state of the player is and also Watford on Saturday. Watford are a different team under Silver. They don't lump balls to Troy Deeney anymore. They've completely marginalised him from the team. And now they've got um, Hishalisan up front. They've got pace, uh, basically, and they've got movement up there, which is why, you know, one of the reasons they're doing so much better. And they're scoring quite a lot of late goals as well, because they can stretch defences. So, um, you know, maybe a year ago, this would have been a more ideal kind of game for Mertesacker than it is now. Marking someone like Troy Deeney probably um, is more suited to his skill set than, than someone like his Charlesson. But then again, you know, his looks to get into the channels and that wouldn't really be Pair's area. That would be for, for Nacho Monreal and, and Lauren Koscielny. So, I mean, personally, I'd just, I'd just bite the bullet and play Pair and then leave him, and, you know, leave him on the massage table for the, the Europa League and the Carabao Cup. Um, also, we we don't know what the situation really is with the fitness of Callum Chambers either. Um, but I I tend to suspect what will probably happen is he'll play Rob Holding, and um, he'll try and patch up Lauren Koscielny and put him into that central role. Yeah,
1: yeah. See, I think he will do that, and that terrifies me. So, Paul, I guess the question is, I think all of us have a great deal of respect for Murda Sacker, and we think if he has it left in the tank to play in the Premier League, we would trust him to be the central most defender of the three. Um, but if that isn't the case, and if the manager feels he has to go with holding, how nervous are you about holding coming into this team, which has just started to sort of kind of right the ship defensively? I mean, we have had, we were on quite a little run there with without conceding. Do you think that this is sort of the absolute worst possible time for him to be brought back in?
3: Um... Well, no, we could definitely come up with scenarios that are worse. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but
1: this okay. is pretty good. <laughs> how about this? This is pretty How good. worried are you about him coming back? And if the manager decides that for whatever reason Murda Sacker doesn't doesn't have what he needs to have to be a starter in the Premier League anymore, and I, I, you know, I don't know what that calculation is, but he's certainly played holding in the Premier League and he hasn't played Murda Sacker there, so I don't think we're getting into the realm of science fiction to suggest it. I mean, how how nervous are you about holding?
3: Um, well, I'm not bulletproof on it, but uh, I guess the positives would be if it's Murchisacker, then Murchisacker will tell Holding what to do. He'll communicate well, etc., etc. Um, won't be our fastest back line if we have the three of those guys. So there could be some pressure over Holding's win, wing. Um, but at least from the coordination of the back line, I think that should be pretty good. If Gashelny's back, um, I think for as long as he's on the pitch, he's got covering speed, assuming he'll play in the three, in the middle of the three, then uh, I think he'll, you know, he, he, holding and him know each other pretty well at this stage. Um, so that could work out okay. So I'm not sure whether to be super worried. Uh, Let me ask you a question. You to,
1: yeah. um, it's kind of the format here. Uh, so I, I think, look, There is this presumption that the guy who stands in the middle of the back three is the captain of the defense, and I get that. But to some extent, he is also the most protected. Um, You know, the channels are where we tend to get hurt. Um, You know, those are the areas that, that players like to run into. The central center back, sort of like David Luiz at Chelsea, seems to be more tasked with receiving the ball off the other defenders, carrying it forward a little more, uh, giving it to the midfield, giving it to Shaka, that sort of thing, or breaking the lines. Holding can step up and he can pass, and you know he's not totally immobile. He's you know, reasonably well-built physically, but I worry that actually in those wider center back positions, those are the ones that, that expose you to the greater risk, and perhaps that's why Mustafi was played centrally and Koscielny was trusted to be on on the side of him. I mean, is there an argument that if we have to bring Holding in, that you put Nacho on one side of him and Koscielny on the other and say, look, just, you know, occupy a safe space just in front of the penalty area, give the ball to Shaka and, and do your best work. I mean, as opposed to potentially taking up what might arguably be a, a riskier position on either side?
3: Absolutely not. I think the uh, central centre-back is the guy, he's the reference point, whether he's loud or quiet, whether he waves his arms or not. Uh, he's the guy's the other the other guys key off and I don't think you do that to holding anyway and uh, not yet. I mean, he's got more
1: responsibility. I agree to organize the defense, but he doesn't necessarily yeah. face the same threat in sort of one-on-one situations. And in, in terms of actual active defending,
3: well, he, he's certainly harder to target. Uh, whereas if he's the right center back or your, your left center back, you know, they can put, they can use speed down the sides uh, and get at them, um, but isn't that just a question? You know, if it's if we're thinking it's Kashelny, that's a lot of covering speed to get behind. If they're targeting in behind role, uh, holding, or they're running at him, um, Kashelny's there behind him, and he's you know the job is for um, for Bellerin and Kishelny to make sure he's covered with some pace and speed if he's under pressure. And we attack down Kalasinach and Monreal's wing. We just got to get the bounce right. I mean, it's really, one of the things we haven't always done is adjusted ourselves to the situation and the opposition and the wing that's getting targeted. But all we got to do is give holding some additional cover than we normally do and use the other wing to be more attacking and more progressive. If it's the right, if they're, if it's Holdings' wing, they're coming down. I wouldn't do anything radical. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do a, a big tweak now, nah, I'll do a little tweak. I'll just, have uh, Bellerin and and Kishelny keep an extra eye on him or if it's Mertensacker you play it a little different way but Mertensacker is a, a shrewd cookie and can cover holding but the pace will have to come from Bellerin getting back
1: yeah i, I mean look i think for me i'd prefer to see Sacker there in the center of the defense i just the fact that holding has played premier league games and Mertensacker hasn't leads me to wonder if that
3: will continue to be the case. Um, so and don't can I make a really no quick on uh, point on Merseyside? I do wonder. It has to if, be a
1: really good one. Yeah. Okay.
3: It is. It's okay. great. Um, I, I've already thought it through, and I see how it ends. And it's actually it's really already good. carried on too long. Come just oh, okay. bring the point. What's uh, the point? Um, I do wonder if, just like us, for a couple of years, uh, the manager was somewhat tortured by uh, Purrs' lack of pace. And the fact that we as a club play a high line mm-hmm. and he's not ideally to suited suited to that. But you can't drop your captain or your most important uh, kind of player in the defense. And now that he's got him out, he's re- it's not that he doesn't rate his abilities. He's just re- reluctant to put him back in um, because you get those issues. But I really think if he want, if that he wanted to do this earlier than he got the chance to do it. And now that he's out, he has moved on.
1: Yeah, I mean the the fact is he's in the team, and we did sell Gabrielle, and Chambers doesn't seem to be in line to play at all. So he's got to play. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know. If otherwise, why not have him retired? This it is summer?
3: weird. It, it, it is, is weird. It is weird.
1: Um, Clive, a couple things. First of all, I mean, yep. it, not to relitigate this issue specifically but do you have any regret over the fact that we did let gabrielle go as we find ourselves in this situation now and is there any part of you that would have preferred given that mustafi apparently wants away doesn't like london wanted to go to inter there's been some rumors that he's not great in the dressing room all of these things is there any argument in your mind that maybe it would have been better to move on mustafi and keep gabrielle
2: yeah, you, you know my thoughts. I, I, I like Gabriel. And I, when I look at squads, I always look at having different profiles of players. And I don't think there's that much difference in what Mustafi, Holding and Chambers offer. I think they're similar sort of players. They're all quite decent on the ball. Not all None of them are extremely dominant. And the, the two English boys have got development time. They're still very young for centre-back. So... You know, I'm not going to rush to judgment on them, although I have in the past. They're um, the
3: similar, aren't they, Clive? Holding they
2: are. They all want to play in that right channel, really. That's what they've been brought up. Mustafi um, is developing a new a new way in the centre, and that's working for us um, in the short term. But I, I you know, if Mustafi's is out holding. All Chambers can do that job. Would you feel confident with them, any of them in the back four any longer, given our, our recent history, with particularly in the right channel, when Bellerin goes for, goes for a walk and they're left exposed? So we've got these sort of non-dominant centre-backs. And there was one centre-back that we had. And I know people think he's rash, but he has, he's got a dominant persona. He's physical, he's quick and his time at right back improved him on the ball and we sold him for peanuts, right? And I just think he's a different profile, he's more aggressive, he's not such a ball player. And it's always good to have one of those types in your defenders for those days and, and Watford is one of those days. And as Tim alluded to, Watford have sped up their team, they're, they're the biggest team in the league, they're one of the most physical teams in the league and so we've, we're talking, it's going to be a real battle and Forget, they came to our place last year and they overran us in the first half. So they're they're going to have no inferiority complex. This is a game that really concerns me. So, yeah, Gabriel, I'm I'm disappointed, but life goes on. Um, Chambers, I'm pleased what's happened. Mustafi, that looks like a time bomb for me. Um, but on on it does looks like a time bomb. I mean, come on, let's just, let's think about both, it, both right in here. terms
1: of his actual defending and in terms of his situation at the club.
2: Everything around him, right? So just think about that injury. Uh, we all saw the injury. Did that look like a three weeker to you? Three week is a grade one, right? So that's a grade one tear. That looked like a near-death experience, right? It's very dramatic, right? Very dramatic. So he looks like a time bomb waiting to happen there. Let's see what let's see what happens with that prognosis. Um, I, I would have preferred to see um Gabriel stay, but that's the that's the club's choice. But I'll going on to the game of the weekend. I've been listening to you guys talk and I, I sort of walked in the room thinking, you know what, I want to have three adults out there, Mert Saka should play. When you look at the games we have against Red Star and then Everton away, Mert Saka's not going to play all three of those games. So he'll probably consolidate, he'll play a holding, the younger man. I think that allows us to compress the space slightly in midfield against an athletic fast team, which I think that's what we're going to need to do. So, um that's how I see the weekend going. And, um, yeah, it's a shame about Gabriel, but life moves on.
1: Yeah, I guess then the, the question becomes, and, and we've discussed this before, but the manager seems to want to play a back three now, and he wants to play a back three in every game, and that's the system that the first team plays, and it's going to play that way in every competition. Yep, I In agree this then. situation now, and, and, well, I've agreed, but are we at the point now where when we do come to these midweek games, Red Star coming up, uh, Norwich in the Carabao Cup. Does he almost have to revert to a back four because he cannot risk using first team defenders back there in those games? And we just do not have the personnel to continue with a back three now um, uh, in, in Europa League and Carabao Cup.
2: I think um, I, I like the back three because of the positional sense. But, but can we the do it in, in the kept?
1: games, the rotational games? Can we do it in the, I mean, do we have the personnel? We've already seen how hard it is for us to put a squad out there with a back three in the Europa League when before Mustafi's injury. I mean, does this really force yeah. his hand to play a back four in the Europa League and in, in Carabao? It,
2: it could do. Well, we could also see El play in the back three. You know, we, we saw that preseason. That could happen. I mean, I, I, I do like what he's trying to do there. I do like how it's made us more positionally adept and we have more pitch coverage. OK, we saw at the start of the season, if you get it wrong, you know, Anfield with the wrong people on the wrong side of the pitch, he doesn't look great. But I don't think we're playing high-quality um, high quality midweek. So let's see what he does, right? So, um, mm-hmm. But I'm not against it. If we go back four... Uh, It it, it wouldn't bother me either But I, I see him sticking with this We've had a couple of opportunities to move away from it And he hasn't taken it Everyone has a view He doesn't really like this formation And he's only just playing with it And he'll go back to what he's always known I'm not sure I agree with that. Doesn't I seem to be the case. Of, yeah, I've, I've always said it. he said it from start of season. He wants to move towards this, and um, I, I'm not sure I agree. I mean, obviously, every week is different. If um, Kachelle only breaks down and see what happens, right? So, um,
1: I'll tell you this much: yeah, if I have to watch Ainsley Maitland, Niles and Reese Nelson play uh, uh, wing back that, that many more times this season, I'm going to take a melon baller to my eyeballs.
2: Yeah, 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 it's a shame. Um, it is a big shame, but we're getting results. And so until we have a bit of an implode, which is only one game away, by the and way, that, let's that's see how we point.
1: go. I, I think that is the one thing that does bother me. We are getting results, but anyone can look at those those midweek games we've played and see that that system isn't working. And would hate to think that we're willing to stick with bad process until it's bad result. You know what I mean?
2: Th- Elliot, do you think that we, that we forget all the times... When we had the back four and people were diving in behind our full backs. Of course. We
1: we haven't defended well in 20 years. I'm not trying to suggest that um, the the back four is a panacea. I'm just saying that the personnel, when you build a squad, when you build a squad the right way, you fill the squad with the players you need to play the system you anticipate playing. Now you have some tactical flexibility, but ideally you are built with wing backs if you're going to play a back three and you know, with, with the kind you know, with, with two midfielders who can play in a midfield two together and things like that. I we're just not built as a back three squad. We're built as a back four squad. And since we've made the switch, I think you can see some of the deficiencies. But Tim, one thing that, that is interesting, we've mentioned chambers and uh, news has just broken Breaking news. Uh, Calum Chambers has signed a new contract. Now, this is an interesting situation. I think he did pretty well in his loan deal last season. He has hardly featured for Arsenal at all, and on the rare occasion that he has, he hasn't looked great. Um, the manager seemed not just willing but desiring to offload him this summer, and now he has a new deal. Um Two two quick questions on this. One, what do you think of the fact that he's been given a new deal? And two, whatever you think of it, do you think that this is another example of muddled thinking or, or lack of clarity of thinking with respect to the squad?
4: Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about um, process and result. This, this, for me, is a good result via a bad process. The, I, I, I think this makes sense on so many levels. What I can't mm-hmm. understand... Is why it wasn't done in May or June. (laughs) It just seemed to be all right. So you know, maybe he, you know, Arsenal was mulling over which of his centre backs was going to get the chop between Gabriel, Chambers, and Mustafi. And I think I think kind of um, the sword of Damocles hovered over all three of them. And and I don't think on the final day of the season the plan was to sell Gabriel. I just think that it was the easiest sale to do. And they wanted to clear some
3: wage bill. It was very interesting because Arsene said something very quickly in a press conference when being pressed about Oxlade-Chamberlain that he had to sell somebody. Now, I think there was brackets around that that said because we were trying to buy Sanchez or, you know, where they were doing other maneuvers. But clearly, in his mind, they had to sell somebody. And they all and they'd already sold a couple so they had to sell somebody had to go out of the center backs and somebody else had to go
4: yeah and i think gabriel was just the easiest one to do you know he had 2 years left on his contract unsure whether he'd sign another one didn't entirely settle in england and the option to go back to spain was and back to valencia you know near where he used to live i, th- I think that was a very attractive one and it was just a quick and easy deal to do um, but this this makes sense on so many levels. So it's a two-year extension. So they haven't given him, you know, four or five years. So he's He's got four years to run on his deal, but it's a two-year extension. So to me, there's there's kind of a few layers to this. First of all, they're parking an issue because they've got so, 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 so much important work to do next summer because... Um, you know, not to blee on about the past, but they've made such a balls up. That we're going to come to all of that work that has to be done. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got a massive iceberg coming where we've somehow got to replace almost the entire spine of the team in one go. And guess what? We've got no money coming in to do it. So we cannot afford to waste time next summer. Um, with all due respect to Callum Chambers, we cannot afford to waste time Um, pissing about with whether our fourth choice centre-back needs replacing give him his two years uh, uh, because effectively what you're saying to him now is right to be honest we're too busy to deal with you at the moment but you're 22 you're English your value's not going to go down even if you sit in the reserves for two years we'll still add the way like uh, transfer fees are going we'll still probably get 20 million for you, quite frankly, even if, you sit, if he even sits if you in the reserves,
1: play. it may help protect his, his value.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, indeed. Indeed. Don't, don't like, don't like,
1: um, drop him into um, our next eight, two at old Trafford or something. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's like, right. Okay. To be frank, this isn't like a massive expression of faith. It's just, we're a bit too busy, um, to deal with this next summer. So we're going to give you two years. We'll deal with it the summer after, um, so effectively, you're on trial for two years, um, which I think is perfectly fine because I think it's too early to give up on Callum Chambers. And I was always I didn't agree with the idea of selling him, but at the same time, he hasn't done enough to earn you know that big bumper five year deal and massive pay rise. He's probably not got much of a salary bump here, so it's just basically parking a bit of an issue. And then underneath that, there's a few things that are going to happen in that in that time. Per is going to retire. Lauren Koscielny's role is either going to disappear or reduce because of age and his Achilles issue. So we've got the next two years, basically, to work out whether Rob Holding and Callum Chambers, whether they're the heir apparent to Mertesacker and Koscielny, maybe we don't know what's going to happen with Mustafi next summer because that doesn't look like an emphatic, yes, sir, you're staying for the rest of your contract. That, again, looks like an issue that might rear its head. So, so Callum Chambers is just an easy decision to make it's like we, we've got too much on our plate to mess around with this he's 22 he'll be 24 in two years with two years left on his deal we can make a decision then um, whether he's progressed or not um, and he might be first choice by then he might have replaced Lauren Koscielny he might be um, a decent backup and he might have replaced you know Gabriel effectively we don't know yet he might be a complete disaster he might not kick on he might need a move but There's nothing urgent there. He's 22. He's got plenty of time to learn and we've got bigger fish to fry. Um, And like I say, this isn't going to wreck the wage bill, um, keeping him on for another two years. Um, So, you know, it makes sense. It it just makes so much sense that I don't understand why it, it didn't make sense in June. Um, and why it's so. I don't know, maybe they've been negotiating with him that whole time. It seems unlikely to me, but.
1: If it's taken them um, that long to get a contract extension for Callum Chambers, may God yeah. have mercy on our soul this upcoming summer. Yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> I, I, I don't think it has. So it does. So you're right. The, the, the process of arriving at this decision does seem a little bit worrying. And, you know, we, we've heard some rumors about, um, you know, Dick Law's replacement coming in and whether that's Marco Miles or not. You know, you never know. Maybe there's something going on there. Maybe there's a machination going on where, um, whether it's Mark Overmiles or someone else is kind of already looking at things and going, right, look, don't waste time with him. Just get that sorted now. Park that issue. Um, I don't know. That's, you know, that's complete plucked out of the air speculation. But it, it's just such a sensible, logical decision, which um, perhaps is a little bit unnerving at Arsenal at the moment. It's, it? But I agree. And it's it's sensible a little bit with
1: Absent any real evaluation of the quality of the player, it's just the right thing yeah. to do with it's, a squad member who you you can get a deal done quickly, get that off your plate, and move on to the bigger issues. Yeah. it's
4: it's it's a no risk um, thing that we've done. Whereas. Um, not doing it carries big risk did they mention so the that, wage I mean,
1: by any chance do we know what that is
4: n- no because that would be my I, only know, concern
1: you know if they bumped him yeah. to 350,000 uh, pounds a week you know then then we're having <laughs> a different I, I doubt
4: it I bet it's a tiny salary bump it will be a bit like um, when Ramsey signed his deal in about 2012 he signed on the same wage but Arsenal said if in 12 months your performance is improved we'll bump your salary and that's what they did and, and this is probably what they've said to Chambers now. They've probably said, well, look, in two years, we've got a decision to make. We either renew you or sell you, and either way, you'll you'll probably you know be well looked after. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, <clears throat> that's one down. Now just the other 82 players we've got to figure out about. Um, so, Paul, I mean, January's fast approaching, and transfers are, are what get the clicks, so we're going to talk about them. Um, I think there's obviously still the open question of whether, if we can we should try to sell Alexis or Ozil in January. What makes this tricky is, <clears throat> you know, Mane is is injured, so he's going to be out for a while for Liverpool. They are scuffling a little bit, and without him, they really don't look the same. They're about to play Manchester United. It's They they could be in trouble, and that means one more team for us to jump to legitimately be in the top four conversation, and I think at this point, Chelsea don't look fantastic. You'd have to at least put us in that conversation is Arsenal kind of between a rock and a hard place for January? I mean, if you are managing this club, are you at the point where the only thing you look to do is strengthen in January and the entire goal now is top four because it looks possible? Or are you still trying to get a return on Ozil or Alexis if you can? Uh,
3: I don't think any of that's... I think you're trying to get a, 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 a result out of Ozil or Alexis... And I think as January comes, uh, a bit like I don't think Chambers and Holding will both prove to be the full deal in a year or two. We'll find one kicked on and one didn't. Probably by the time January comes around, we'll have come to the conclusion that, say, Sanchez is a real asset and has got his head straight and Ozil not so much or vice versa. So uh, time will help a lot on this. I suspect at the end of the day, the most important thing, you won't know in January either way in terms of how our season's going to turn out. I mean, a lot can happen in three months, so I don't think we'll ever will either be so high up the table or so low, low down the table. Um, Let's just say yeah. the, the, the picture paints uh, us as a, a
1: candidate for a top-four
3: finish such
1: that weakening the squad in January wouldn't be advisable if you want to finish in the top four.
3: Yeah, I I don't think he'll sell either of them to weaken the squad. He'll only sell one of them if they're really not particularly helping and they're probably hurting. So, you know, if uh, Sanchez pulls the big sulk after Chile gets kicked out, he decides he's nothing to live with and wants to move on with his life um, now that he has no World Cup and he's not helping in the squad. He could go in January, but I don't think he'll go because... We're not that arsed about whether we can add something to the rest of our season. season. Same with those. I think uh, nothing will be decided by January, so I think the manager will want all weapons, all options that are helpful. Yeah. Uh, but he might want to lose one that's not being helpful at that time. So if one Makes of them sense. kicks up a fuss... So uh, I think that's the driver. I, I think it'll it'll be, uh, we'll be trying to put the pedal to the metal in January, no matter what the scenario, we'll want to keep every, what I think we got to do in January is we can't let that window go by, go by without adding, say, a Chaka or a Kolasinac, you know, one of those signings from out of Germany, guys w- that aren't on our radar, but strengthen our overall squad whatever position is important. We've got a spine. Well, midfielder, needs. certainly. <laughs> sure. I mean, you, but you can pick certainly midfield or defense and you ju- for the point that Tim and you have been making, we can't let a w- any windows go by without a signing or two, even if it's not the star signing, even if it's not a top well, signing. Well, right, because
1: we—it's anything we don't get done in January is more we're leaving for the summer, and you can only get so many players in in one window anyway. So
3: I, I definitely and, and see it's amazing there. what one signing—you know—I uh, kind of said a, a little while ago—if um, you re— if you re-up a couple of people's contracts. Uh, and get some things sorted out, maybe a Ramsey, uh, uh, Chambers and one or two others. Uh, you make a signing in January uh, and you have a you know a Kaanatch done by March or April for the following season. there you know, you got four players sorted out if they're the right players. suddenly the work doesn't seem, nearly as daunting. So it's a really important period. We don't have to wait till summer. We could get three or four players sorted out internally and externally, one in January and one before the window opens, like we did with Podolsky, like we did mm-hmm. with Kolasinac, like we did with Chaka. Maybe, maybe
1: not a Podolsky, though. Maybe. Yeah, maybe not a Podolsky. Maybe not someone just like Podolsky, although I, I love him on social media. He um, was good in that first game against Liverpool. He's got a great left foot. Uh, Clive, the The big issue, I think, for me, the thing that I can't understand is how poorly we have performed in the transfer market over the past five, six, seven years in targeting bright, young talent. You know, not not the 16, 17-year-olds who are a million pounds or 500,000 pounds. The You know, like what Liverpool did with Suarez, bringing him in from the Eredivisie, right? Or, you know, a, that kind of a mold. Someone who who could be, develop into one of the best players in the world. A, a really bright young talent. Maybe the problem has been that we've reached a point where even those guys, those 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old guys who are in that echelon are now 30, 40, 50 million pounds. I mean, we saw what Anthony Martial cost. But would you say that our biggest failure has been the failure over the past few seasons to take a fairly large flyer, I mean, 10, 15, 20 million on a young player, and is that what we really need to do this upcoming summer? Because if the accounts are true and we have 90 or 100 or 110 million pounds to spend or whatever, buying one star isn't going to fix what's broken with us, especially after this year when we lose Alexis and Ozil and so on and so forth. Is the plan now and has the big failing been buying talented young players who can potentially become the, the I hate to use expression, but the world-class players that we'll need?
2: It's a tough one, right? Because the football world has changed, right? So your, um, your American player, the Christian Pulisic, whatever his name is, 18? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 18, 18. We can't right? buy At him Dortmund. either. <laughs> yeah? How, how much would he cost? 45, right? How much would he At cost? At a minimum? Yeah, Should we, should we just say 80. I mean, right? he's only a couple of he's only a couple of YouTube videos away from being a world star, right? So, and that's and that's the difference that the market's completely changed. So, what we used to do, you know, getting these seventeen, eighteen year olds and and beating everyone to the punch and really focusing on talent identification, everyone's doing it. And everyone's doing it younger. And everyone's investing more money. They're making sure they pay their mums and dads a lot more money. They're doing immoral Asian deals, which we won't do. They're having immoral relationships, which we won't have in case those deals get investigated further down the road. Because our sort of built on values, right? And those values are some of the reasons why we support them. But we're also, those values trap us and they slow us and they make us hesitant. And um, us being hesitant means we've been picked off by our by our competitors. I mean, Martial for example, Benko knew all about him, liked him, and Monaco said, "Well, he's not for sale." Two minutes later, Manchester United come in with a big checkbook and and um, suddenly he's in their team. Because I was, I was surprised; I didn't know he was for, he was for sale. And we sit here thinking we have got Alexis moaning and stopping in our in our dressing room. We're thinking we could a left-sided forward, who's a who can score a few goals, who's a bit powerful, is good on the dribble, and he's playing for Manchester United, and he's on the bench for five of their six games, whichever they've had. So it's a it's a it's an issue. I, I'm not I'm not sure what the answer is. I'm not sure if the answer is waiting at Madrid's back door, waiting at Barcelona's back door for their star that doesn't get into their team and make him our star. They expect him to be committed to our team. I'm not sure if that's the answer. I just think we need to be we need to be smarter how we buy, but smarter how we sell our club to those players. There is a finite group of world-class players in the world and teams are hoarding people. They're hoarding players. And so the situation that we have with our squad may be a bit top-heavy. Other teams do as well. But we've got to be able to sell them a project and that's where we're failing. We're not selling them a project. We're selling them an, an aged club with aged people that needs freshening up. So when that project changes then i think we become incredibly attractive to a number of different players we probably need that we probably do need a signing that says come and play with me at the moment our two superstars look disgruntled so maybe the player that's turning out to be the most important player for our future potentially could be lacazette he's he's his mid 20s he's french there's so that's much french point, talent yeah. out there He should be the one, he should be the poster child of the club now and say, come and play with me. Come and play with me. This is where we're going. I think it's a very important transfer, but it's also very important how we promote him, how we sell him, how we use him to create a network with other players. Players are now by helping to buy other players it's like the nba you know you go and play with lebron james you go and play with certain players players are recruiting players i think we need to do that a lot more and not look at aged coaches and expect them to be at the same generation be able to pull the players that we want to get into our club. And I think, I think we've just got to move with the times. And that that's, this is where it's going. This is where it's going. And I think um, what we used to do no the longer works, because everyone's doing it, and they've got bit deeper pockets and they're more immoral. And where we need to go now is build around those, you heard know, me say on Twitter, build around those new pillars that we're buying. And we've got a few, in the German League and the French League. Now they need to help us recruit the next layer. So uh, that's why I think we should. That's how I see us going going forward.
1: Um I mean do you do you have to lay some some blame at the feet of look I think every great manager has to have a market that they mine effectively right a market of talent um you know maybe that's Klopp bringing players from Dortmund with him or understanding the German market or you know maybe it's it's Conte knowing Italy or you know whatever market he know you know again I'm I'm making this up as I go it was also no, with France you. but but does Arsene Wenger have to take some criticism for the fact that there is a golden generation of young French talent, and the guy he got from that generation was Yaya Sanogo? I mean, as as much as we all love love Yaya, I mean, does does he does he own some responsibility for Huge the fact that? Uh, I love Yaya. <laughs> yeah, I love him. But does he own some responsibility he, he, he. for that? I mean, Martial and he Lamar does. and Mbappe and you know we can go on and on and on and Kondogbia and all these guys. He he didn't get any of them.
2: Yeah, he really didn't, and let's feel And I think that's a massive failing on his behalf. But hold on a minute, he's got a French scout called Gilles Grimondi, and he's still in his job. Last time I looked, right. So, what's he looking well,
1: that, at? That I mean, the buck stops here, right? I mean, at the end of the day, this this is all. It all funnels up to arson. It all bubbles up to him.
2: Absolutely, I'm not. He's not beyond criticism, right? So we all know we've we, we've missed out on players we would never have missed out on. Historically, but we've changed. We have kept players longer. We have trusted players longer. I feel we've been a bit lazy on on year on year, waiting for certain people to break through. We've got many players in six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years. Theo that have been here a long time, trousering a lot of money, and, and they're still here. <laughs> yeah, and don't yeah, don't forget scoring that. Scoring a lot of goals. Goals. Yeah, but, but never but, hit, never hitting uh, the heights that maybe. That maybe we exactly hope. look. I, I We're didn- not, I'm not calling them failures. I'm just saying we all have expectations that we want to compete a little bit more. We want to be a bit closer to the top. We don't demand winning. We just we just demand a bit of progression. That's all. We, that's all I demand. E- anyway. Yeah,
1: and and I, I- you raise an interesting point, Clive, which is that Arson had his guys, his young guys. You know, the Oxley Chamberlain, and it was certainly one of them, and. Jack Wilshire, and you know, he had his guys that maybe yep. he really wanted to see make the leap, so to speak, and intentionally maybe eschewed the the younger market in the interest of trying to give those younger players room that he that he was banking on, and obviously we've seen where that's led. So, Tim, I mean, I'll, I'll kick it over to you on this one. I we have we have a really bad profile from sort of an age standpoint and from a recruitment standpoint. And obviously, it's all going to come to a head this upcoming summer. I mean, just quickly, first from you, do you think that's been the big miss that we that we didn't go find? Or I, I, I say try to find. Who knows what we tried to do? But is that the miss mm. that we didn't go after those big known talents in the 18 to 20, 21 bracket and try to develop them? Especially because, look, if you pay $20 million for them and they don't pan out, the way the market has evolved they're probably still worth at minimum $20 million as they're coming to the end of their contract.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think, um, uh, so to introduce um, a, a theme the listeners will probably be well attuned to by now, uh, something I've written about a little bit this week. So so I think what, what happened um, <clears throat> after we bought Ozil and Alexis, we kind of stumbled upon, probably by serendipity, this kind of, ah, why, why don't we um, every summer... Wait for like, you know, like we we kind of understood our place in the natural order of things. So why don't we wait for Real Madrid, Bayern, Barcelona and whoever to do all their buying and then go and shake the tree and see who drops out? And that worked for us for a couple of summers. But to go back to Clive's point about hoarding, um, the problem was those three teams basically bought up all of the best attacking talent in Europe. Yeah. And then they didn't need to buy anyone for three years. So Real Madrid were like, yeah, we've got Benzema, Bale, and Ronaldo. We're pretty happy. We don't, you know, we don't really need to go out and buy another hundred million pound forward. Um, you know, they even passed up on the whole Pogba thing. They were just like, no, you know, we're not interested in that. Barcelona had Neymar, Suarez, and Messi. They didn't need to buy anybody, and in fact, they were spending so much on their salaries they had to cut back in other areas. And then Bayern had something similar. You know, Bayern were a couple of years ago they had a whole team in its prime so they didn't have to go out and do any massive buying so we kind of came to this I think we stumbled upon this yeah let's just um, you know maybe wait to the end of the transfer window and see what drops out of those clubs and the answer was nothing was dropping out of those clubs and um, you know the, the, the third summer after so he got Ozil he got Alexis the summer after he chased Benzema um, and you know this is a French talent and again uh, to kind of Plug back into the actual conversation. Maybe Benzema is someone that really, really should have been on our radar, close to a decade ago. Yeah. Um, but he tried to buy, you know, mid to late twenties ready-made Benzema, which you know, which was kind of um, what we all hoped would happen for Arsenal that that we'd be able to buy straight off the shelf. It's just um, weird that we, we went to
1: exclusively it. buying straight off the shelf, you know?
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know if we lost our way a bit or if we got a bit excited. But, you know, Ar- Arsene did say about a year ago, he made this point about some French players. You know, he he said, like, I knew about Kante, I knew about Griezmann. He's how many times, he, you know, he won't shut up about how many times he's spoken to Mbappe. Um, you know, and and that feels like him saying, "Yeah, I still knew about these guys. I just I just couldn't get them." Um, and you know, you're saying stuff about scouting and and stuff like that. He he seemed to be hinting that he knew about these players, but um, someone somewhere let him down. Is and, it possible
1: uh, though that the reason he couldn't get them is in his mind? You don't pay twenty five or thirty million for a young yeah. uh, prospect that. The way you Maybe. buy young prospects is you pay a couple million at most and you develop them. And I mean, that's just not the way it works anymore. And did we did yeah. we misread the money market? I mean, we left the cash in yeah. the bank thinking that that cash would become our our power in the market. The cash devalued because of Brexit and because of the inflation in the market and the TV deal coming into the Premier League, which made English teams a mark for sellers, combined with the fact that had we bought assets with that cash the assets could have then generated more cash through sales yeah. than the cash in the bank
4: did yeah definitely we we certainly been blindsided blindsided by that um and yeah I, I think that's that's a very very kind of valid criticism and yeah i mean i i think the, the kind of irony is um and again, this this is kind of alluding to a theme I've written about this week, Arsenal have kind of come full circle almost back to Project Youth. So, Project Youth, you know, who, who were the two poster boys of Project Youth? Van Percy and Fabregas. They both left in their prime and that's, that's what we're getting now. And because we're now in a stage where we've dropped into the Europa League, we've got star players leaving on free transfers and... Um, We've got the Puma and Emirates deals coming up at the end of the season. arguably getting into we're back to where we were 10 years ago, where getting into the top four is absolutely critical again because we're back to the stage of we need that to hook the star players. We need that to get the value that we need to get mm. from our, our key commercial deals. And it, it kind of feels like' we've, we've gone round in a, in a big circle where you know our two star players are about to leave and we absolutely must at the expense of everything else get back in the top 4 so when arson says you know oh it's not as important nowadays um, well it, maybe he's right generally but for arsenal because of the situation we are now in it's to me it's as important as ever it's more um, important. you know
1: it's more important because of the premier yeah. league rules related to wages the best way for you to build your squad is to add revenue non through the TV deal. And you can only pull yeah. in the same amount of revenue every year from ticket sales unless you raise them dramatically. So the best way to improve your revenue is your commercial deals. That's what yeah. unlocks your ability to add talent to your squad.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's exactly where we're kind of coming up short. and And because we've not been smart with our selling of players, which actually you know, even back in the day, right at the beginning of Arsenal's Raymond, we were losing, you know, our star players fairly regularly, we were getting paid for them and replacing them. And now we've kind of we, we've used the fact that we've got a bit more money nowadays. But actually, what we've what what we've basically landed ourselves in is a situation where we've got to replace our entire spine in one go, and all of the players in that spine, uh, we're not getting a penny for any of them, and. We're we going to look to do that on the back of a Europa League campaign, um, replacing them all in a World Cup year. I mean, it it could be a big big iceberg. Um, and aside a, from know, that, Mrs. Lincoln, really, Lincoln what
1: do you think of the play?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 this is this is you know such a crucial year. This could be a real crossroads year because I think we're looking at. If we don't get in the top four, I think we're looking at what Liverpool have gone through, um, at least a bit, a bit of a bit of post-Ferguson Man United as well. But they've just had the money to spend their way back in.
1: Tim, and there's um, there's another there's another bad fact, which is all of this recruitment and all of this negotiation and all of this work that has to be done is done with a guy at the helm who one year later is gone himself. Yeah, so exactly. how do you create any continuity or forward planning when the person in charge of doing that can't even look the new players or the new any of these these new partners in the eye and say, and here's my vision for where we'll be, because he won't be there, presumably.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, to cut a long story short, it all comes back to the fact we were primed for a new manager um, this year. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, We massively missed the boat, but there you go.
1: And had a lot of business to do that we didn't do. And look, I mean, here's the problem. When we were negotiating our last round of commercial deals, Arsenal was still identified as the Invincibles. We still had players like Van Persie and Cesc Fabregas, and we were still remembered for players like Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp. And there were partners commercial partners that were willing to maybe experience a little bit of a downturn at that time to understanding that the Emirates move might be a setback, but long-term they were investing in a, in a brand that was going to be at the top of world football. Today you're negotiating with potentially Europa League football. Your star players are Aaron Ramsey and Lacazette and nobody cares or remembers the invincibles anymore. You know, from a, if you're a brand investing, obviously we all do, but you know, it, that's not how brands think. So, it's going to be really and sorry tough. just
4: yeah just just to add really really quickly bolt on one more thing there we can't keep pointing to the stadium anymore that's 11 years ago yeah and now Tottenham are about to get a new one Chelsea are about to get a new one so that's you know Ivan Gazidis in particular is fond of saying how brave we were to move to this new stadium it had nothing to do with him it's over a decade ago now
1: yeah and and there there are clubs doing it arguably in in an even more intelligent way than we did. Um, I think you combine that with the investment going into clubs like Everton, who obviously haven't gotten it right now, but certainly have the ability to potentially get it right. And it, it, it looks very problematic for us to get those commercial deals. Because for those people listening, I, I am not a finance expert, and I am not an expert on the Premier League salary rules. But the way they work essentially is you can only increase your wages, the wages you pay to your players, a certain amount every year. And it's related to your turnover, um, to to your turnover not from the TV deal, right? I mean, I, have I summarized that pretty much accurately? Uh, that the yeah. amount you can yep. increase your... So that's why Manchester United can buy whoever the hell they want because the commercial deals are so outrageous that they they have that turnover to to justify the increase in their wages our commercial deals are going to determine whether we can make incremental increases in our wages every year or whether we can make uh material increases every year and obviously we need to make material increases to recruit new players now obviously with ozone alexis coming off the books that'll free up a lot but you're gonna have to pay more to the next round of stars you want to go out and get and so Paul, I I think as as uplifting as all this is, and as exciting as it all, all it is, it, it all is. Paint me a picture now of how you fix this between January and this summer. What moves can be made, and would you make, and are realistic to make to position Arsenal to not do what Tim was talking about, which is drift into where Liverpool spent a decade, or where United have spent their time since uh, Ferguson left. Like wh- what? What moves could be made, in your opinion, to potentially keep the ship pointed in the right direction?
3: Fuck, I don't know, you guys. I'm lying on the floor here, clasping my chest. After that.
4: Oh well, here's here's a fair question. Are there moves
3: that can be made, or do you have to swallow? Okay, hang on, Elliot. Hang on, Elliot. Bear with me. I'm I'm sticking it out. I, I got so low it reminded me I had this really weird dream last night with me and Tim like hello. tim was do hello so t- t- tim was doing like the brazil thing last night and the south America thing on twitter and we had a couple of tweets back and forth i sensed there was a little bit of unresolved tension i think i took that into this dream i had i had one of those crystal clear dreams and uh, tim and i were living together kind of not really sure what i mean there was nothing going on and it was like it was a really nice place it was like Metal glass, tile, very, very modern. Debs was in the picture somewhere in the background, but not really a factor. We had a dog. I don't know whether it was his dog or my dog. And somehow we came up with this plan that for the sake of the dog, I should stab him with like a Roman short sword. The ones they use in close combat, you know, the the scabbarded.
4: Stab me or the dog? You. Okay, that's fine.
3: Now, you were okay with this plan. I don't... i might've been more planned my plan than yours. So, but I didn't do like what the Romans tell you to do, which is to twist your hand when you put the sword in to kind of like, uh, churn the guts. So after about an hour or two, you started to recover, which was a bit embarrassing all round. And then we discussed whether we should get an ambulance or not. I I mean, the obvious, the answer was pretty obvious after we brought up the topic, And we got in an ambulance, and we saved him.
1: Can I, can I come back in now? (laughs) Sure. Um, That's all true.
3: I mean, it's not a very good dream. Can Arsenal pull
1: that off? Uh, is is the ambulance Lamar? Like, help me here. Give me something. Like, is the knife as, l- as long as
4: as long as the dog remains unharmed? I'm fine. Well, I, I
1: think if the dog is an Alexis, I think the dog is not going to remain unharmed, and and the, and the knife is Ozil being stuck into Arsenal, but but then being withdrawn, and
3: then the ambulance Elliot, is Elliot. Don't distract us from the main point here. So I think what you got to do is make a move during the January window. Make a move April, May time. Get somebody in there. There's two. Uh, have your next guy lined up right for the start of December. Now you got three. Get, so, get some players re-signed. Do you, um, do you, have, to get,
1: do you have to yeah. get someone in January, Just you know maybe even someone big like Lamar, even if that means selling an Ozone or Lexus, just so that you can look someone like Aaron Ramsey in the face, assuming you want to keep him, and say, see, we're not just going to let this whole thing fall apart. Sign a new uh, deal.
3: I think it's too hard to do the big deal unless it falls into your lap. I mean, if Monaco are doing shit and they want to capitalize on some cash, great. So if, if we don't unless- do some
1: big deals, at least by the beginning of the summer, good luck trying to convince you know guys like Ramsey to stick around.
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, really, if you've got to have a big deal by the start of the summer to get Ramsey Um, Or does Ramsey get the
1: Theo Walcott treatment where then it's, uh, here's 300 grand, please stay, because he just happens to have his contract negotiation come up at a time when we have no leverage?
3: I think Ramsey stays if he buys into the vision and if he thinks he's going to be major and central to it like our future captain. And I think if he does, if he's, I don't think one player does it for him. I don't think we'll have, I don't think we could buy that player at the start of the summer. It's just too hard. We've never just, unless it falls into our lap. So great if you can do it. But I think what you do is you just got to move well and quickly on the kinds of players we can get signed up and done good players like your Chakas, Kalasinaches, et cetera, as we've been through before. Um, and then, you know, Clive and Tim kind of touched on a significant point, which is our scouting. And uh, I don't know if we all saw that report. I don't know if it was in the Telegraph, but it was something pretty reputable talking about how we didn't get Kante and that, um, uh, what uh, who's it, Gilles Grimandi? Was the scout and he went to see him various times. Kept reporting back that nothing very exciting there. Arson and Co. kept sending him back because they kept hearing these great things about him. Uh, Grimandi kept coming back saying, No, no takers. Um, You know, no interest here, nothing to see. And so that's a significant piece. I mean, our problems could be solved if we got a recruiting in France and we're quite good at getting those kind of. pretty good talents from germany we've got you know three of them in recent years all in that same kind of uh, in fact you could add mertesacker to that these are all guys we had somehow we get germany deals sorted out in march april um, but france we got to get sorted and if gramandi ain't doing the business fuck get stick all our or find two or three more scouts and stop chasing around wherever the hell we're chasing around and you know, roll the dice on France, the talents there, we have the angles, we have the contacts, what we don't seem to have is the scouting mechanism.
1: It's funny, because we, we've been trying, right? I mean, we acquired the stats company, StatsDNA, and you, you look at some of the areas where the club has tried to make improvements. One really notable one that we never talk about is injuries. We had this horrible injury track record for a while, and we replaced the medical staff, and I think all of us would agree, for the most we're lot part, better. we're a lot better. We don't we're not constantly losing players to calves and quads and hamstrings and groins every every game. I mean, at least not at Arsenal. You know, we lost Mustafi on, on international duty. Um, Clive, how worried are you about the fact that we have to do all of this work, that we have to rebuild really the spine of the team, that we have to reshape the team, and the person who's going to decide who these new recruits are and who's going to get the big new contracts is is a guy who won't be there to helm that project as it starts to take shape. I mean, how do you, how do you put the future of the club in the hands of someone whose own future is not at the club?
2: Well, firstly, you're making a big assumption that he won't be there.
1: Right, well, so, um, right. no, sorry, I'm talking about seven years from now when we're in the same situation. Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, this is a. We, we got. Obviously, Tim's really explained it really well where we are. Uh, I spoke uh, on, on, the, on another podcast many, many years ago about renewal, and I could see this coming. Uh, I could see that we were hitting a point where we were keeping people you, you I thought we Would you shoot arson
1: like- an email? Would it, would, would it that, kill you to make a, a call?
2: I've often said we've been doing a lap of honor in a diamond club congratulating ourselves on the new revenue from 2014 and we just signed on our players again. We just signed them on. British Corps, we just signed them on. It was just easy. It was easy. We could sustain the top four. It was no problem. The top four's become a top six and now you have to. Now we have to hold on to our phony baloney jobs. We've got to really earn our money. And so we talk about Jules Gimondi, okay, he'd three mentions tonight, right? But but yeah, he's still in the job, right? He's still in the job. Um, so, I think the competition crept up on us. We heard me talk about our competitive landscape. You need to keep an eye on it, and we didn't. And now we have to work. And now we have to work in a in a disadvantageous way because our, our I would say our friend we've got two franchise players, and they're both with seven months ago in their contract, whatever it is. And you know, we talk about Aaron Ramsey. Suddenly, Aaron Ramsey is a great shout. It's, it's popped up to be like the Theo Walcott. The timing of his contract is perfect. Danny Welbeck suddenly turned into a superstar. Because we know that we need those players. But ask, ask yourself, honestly, are they the franchise players to take us forward? Uh, I'm not sure. I am not sure. That's not the level that's going to lead the club to, the, to get us to the next level. <coughs> Excuse me. They are good players, but they are not franchise players. Ursula and Sancho, are the franchise players and we need to find a way to replace them. So for me, the best deal we could possibly get is a swap at PSG for somewhere for like a, a Draxa type player or because they're, they're overloaded. Is going to one of those bigger clubs and saying, OK, if you want him early, can we have a bit of somebody else? Mm-hmm. And that's really significant. I think there's a big market for Alexis. There are many teams that really want to win big trophies next year. They're prepared to to pay a little bit less or trade with us to get him ahead of other people who are waiting for him on the free. So I'm hoping that developing the market for him. And at least we're going to get something back. If we get something back in the 23, 24-year-old age range, we have the start of something. Um, what if we're sitting
1: you know, fourth, three points above Chelsea and Liverpool? I mean, it makes no difference to you?
2: It, it doesn't. Honestly, it doesn't. Because we're in a situation where you have to look at the bigger picture and say, OK, we have left ourselves bereft. We have left ourselves with no leverage. So we have to try to create leverage. We have to try to create a market. We have to try to to get something back for the assets that we have. We've got too many reaching reaching this point where we're going, we're going to lose that leverage. The moment to move the major was definitely last summer. The contract situation dictated it. For some reason, somewhere in the club got cold feet. We should have done it then. Some of the players don't believe in the project going forward so no one signed or we haven't asked them to sign. So the situation is now, we are in a situation where we have to create that leverage. If we get something back, great we're in a situation where we have no choice the ages of of our key pillar players say we have to rebuild there is no point about what the league is saying because there's next year and there's a year after and there's a year after that if we don't bite the bullet now we're in a three four year cycle of pain and that means commercially we are going to be in a much worse situation everyone around our our near neighbours will will settle into their new ground they will take our place in the marketplace no problem at all. Not one of us is sitting here saying that Tottenham are worse than us. We're all sort of quietly accepting that they are progressing and moving forward. When their shiny stadium income just going to go again. The academy is already way ahead of ours. England are now training at their training ground, not the Arsenal training ground. That's just happening all around us. Right? So we have to react to that. And, um, and I'm hoping that something and somebody at the club will wake up and say this is what's happening to you. What are you going to do? And regardless of a couple of points here and a couple of points there, we need to start the process of really rebuilding the player pool, rebuilding that talent and getting the age right. And regardless of where we are, I and mean, then we to make sure this Champions League gap lasts no longer than two years maximum. If we fudge it and try to limp through and we don't get it right, then we could be a three, four year pain cycle. on and, that, and that's my concern.
1: Yeah. And I think what you, <laughs> what you're hitting on there is really just making the point for me that the problem is the manager and, and not to end this by hammering him, but, the club needs to move forward and it needs to move forward from everything it's done before and start doing things in a different way and modernize and update itself and go through a cycle of renewal. It needs a new manager. It needs a director of football. It needs new positions in place in the scouting department. The academy has to be retooled again, um, unfortunately, because we've decided to give up on the the project that we were undertaking with the academy. And that all runs through Arson and Arson will block any change in any of those areas until he is gone as well. So... I th-
2: can I yep. say one more thing, Elliot? As I suppose, opposed, yeah. One, on, on top of uh, top of all of that, what we really need is new messages from the very top, right? What we need is messages from, from our owner to say what we, what we stand luck. for. <laughs>
4: good luck. Good yeah? luck. I mean, you, you know, look, and, and, and I want a pony for I, Christmas, but, but, but you but, know, it would that, die in the but,
2: in the cold winters here. But that's absolutely, I'm really saying, I'm, I suppose it's obvious about the manager. It's almost like none of us are mentioning it because... We're not, we don't insult the listener's intelligence right but really what we can say is that the manager is only a product in the environment that he's allowed to work in and that's set by the owner and he makes sure he's got a strong relationship with the owner and sod everybody else he doesn't care about anybody else because the owner will not sack him and that's what needs to change that person needs to change or his ambition needs to change and then once that starts to trickle down and everything else we desire will start to will start to happen.
1: Look on the bright side, Ivan Gazidis got a huge bonus, so he's going to be all right, um, and I you know we don't have to worry about him and his well being. The funny thing is, there's going to be a lot of change at the U.S. Men's National Team, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if Gazidis gets a call for that. So things may start to change not by our own making. Um, Tim, uh, real quick, it's Watford at the weekend. It's Watford away. It's not an easy fixture by any means, but it's one that we'd be looking to uh, keep the momentum going. I suppose you would say. If you had to guess, do you think we will see Ozil and Alexis on the pitch together this time?
4: Uh, No, I think I I still think he might leave Ozil on the bench, Um, although I think there may be a decent case for leaving Alexis because of, you know, he played in Sao Paulo the early hours of Wednesday morning and obviously had a very, very disappointing night. Um, we all know how much playing for Chile means to him. So did my um, wife, by the never...
1: way. Very disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> and
4: we all know how much playing for Chile, Chile means to him, and missing a World Cup in his prime, um, you know that's going to sting. And I, I have to, say I haven't been worried about the whole "this is Alexis's last year" thing. I've never been worried about that, um, but I am a little bit worried about what this might, what what this might do for him mentally. But then again, I. I Tend to think he's probably the kind of person who's not really capable of, of, um, of mope. And, you know, he's always I, a bit the I would say on the bright side, anyway, Tim, so.
1: you could say he doesn't have anything to save himself for come April and May. If yeah. we're still in the Europa League and we're chasing top four, you know, it's not like he's going to be thinking, don't pull a hamstring because of Russia. He yeah. might be thinking, cl- you know, club success is really all I'm playing for at this point and shop window. Yeah. So,
4: yeah, 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 exactly. But whether, um, we involve, whether we, Play him from the start uh, against Watford. I, I'm not sure. I don't think we'll see them both together. No, um, and I tend to think it will be Urzil who will be on the bench.
1: So you think it's a Wobie who comes right back in? Yes, yes, F-
4: I do. Fresh off getting he, and, them, and, the yeah, World exactly. He he had the opposite experience to Alexis Sanchez, and you know he came back a little bit earlier as well. I think he was um, that that was last weekend, so he's yeah. he's been back like yep. since early this week. So yeah, I, I expect to see him start.
1: Interesting, Paul projection prediction guess what's the score uh,
3: uh, well i i would strongly recommend that he plays neither of them really yeah what yeah
1: w- why Well, you know we we still have them on the books right like <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah yeah well i think alexis is going to be uh, i mean if you there's no way pep would play alexis after that game i'm just not a the fan of guessing
1: what the emo- well knackered, yeah that that's a possibility
3: and depressed
1: although he did that. only have one game he right he he only played one game over the international No, he played
3: too. both did he yeah
1: oh, son of a bitch all right
3: yeah all right. And so, why not ozil and then uh, ozil's a candidate um if, he, if he's really deemed fully fit yeah this is probably the game you'd bring him back in so if you don't play but,
1: either of them who will be in who, who
3: uh, well that's that's the better question then what Iwobi and Ramsey
1: with Elneny and Shaka or mean, mm, nah
3: okay yeah you're probably going to play Ozil in this or Alexis um, uh, not Alexis okay. I would definitely well like. alright
1: so when when we trot out Iwobi and and Ramsey and Elneny and Shaka uh, and and holding and you're starting to really get me excited for this game what, what's the score going to be
3: um 2-1 to us, uh, us is Arsenal.
2: Yeah, sweet. That sounds awesome.
1: <laughs> Clive, predictions, predictions, guesses.
2: Yeah, Fortune I think. Um, yeah, I think you will be all playing. We have Alexis and Lacazette out front. It'll be um, you know Klaassenic, uh, Shaka Ramsey, Bellerin, holding Montreal, Monreal, Czech. Go with that. Uh, I think we're going to need we're going to need the best the best level that we can possibly have. I do like Iwobi in this game. Because I think he's quite physical. I think we're going to need that physicality. We're going to need that running power to discourage them from thinking we're vulnerable. I don't want to see us on the pitch. Because I think he will make us look vulnerable physically, and I think you need to match them first. And I see us winning by the odd goal, but I think it's time for Alexis to um, shape up or ship out. Right? so I don't care about his issues in the week he's been he shaping does, up uh, to be fair yeah he's he's getting, he's coming back to shape
1: right? and, um,
2: and if at this time last year he played that game we would all we all know he would have come back off the plane straight onto the pitch Let's see where his head's at, and hopefully he can come back and start.
1: He's going to so, want to you know, play. Yeah, he's going to beg Arsene go. to let him play. I think we all know that. Um, so yeah, when yeah. you say we're going to win by the odd goal, just out of curiosity, do you mean like a, a goal or that the goal itself will be odd, like like the ones that Aspina uh, concedes?
2: I think it could be like a 3-2. A 3-2. Um, when I say Alexis shape up, I mean shape up and, and join the team. Play okay. play with the team. Not play well. We all know he's a great player. But play within the team framework. That's what I'm really hoping to see. If he does that and, and just slows down some of the individualistic stuff that makes him but also allows some criticism, if you can just dial that back a bit, join the team. That's what I'm really looking for this weekend.
1: i got to tell you, um, after everything I've seen in football, I have no reason to doubt that we will get a 4-1 victory at Watford. So that's – um. You can put that in the books. I would go to whatever gambling site you use, wager a lot of money on that, tell them that was Tim's decision. Um, Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. As
3: always it was. Paul is on Twitter at My Pants. Thanks, Pause. So I forgot to say that Tim tweeted this picture of a Brazilian dude French kissing this other Brazilian dude yesterday evening, and I strongly suspect it bothered me. It, it shouldn't. But why, it did. why did it bother you? I don't Do you know. want to talk about it. No, I retweeted it just now, so okay. you can find it if you All want right. to go Well, everybody, everybody
1: can look at it and decide if if it's upsetting in some way or if Paul just needs it to it work through his his uh, homophobic issues. Um, so as we mentioned, Paul's on Twitter at pause in my pants, and thanks, mm. pause. Uh, clive is on Twitter at clive p a f c. Uh, the P stands for. Uh, uh, passable insight yes. into the arsenal uh clive thank you very much
2: my pleasure thanks
1: my name is Elliot smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner give us a five star review and write nasty things about i don't know someone let's call him ralph write nasty things about ralph in the comments section because ralph is a son of a bitch and he deserves it in any event up the arsenal four one victory remember you heard it here first we'll come back after watford to discuss the loss cheers